Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Let me say welcome to those of you joining us online and welcome to all of you guys this morning. It's good to see you as we kick off our series entitled The Kingdom is Near where we are going to be walking through the book of Nehemiah together spending time praying for what God is preparing for us as we head toward the new year and the kickoff of our For the Kingdom campaign. And so uh, as we get into our time this morning, it will be a little bit different than normal. Today is just simply kind of an overview to kind of whet our appetite for the book of Nehemiah to give us uh, some information about what this book uh, says to us, speaks to us, how it fits within the redemptive plan of God um, for his people, uh, and at the same time getting us excited for what's going to start as we jump into the actual text of the book next week. Before, though, we get into some of that, a couple of announcements, a couple of things to share with you this morning. In the seats around you, uh, you will find one of these little pages, uh, and it is a uh, really, it's kind of this handout, a snapshot of the book of Nehemiah. Um, it's got information on both sides. And every time we start a new book study here, uh, we try to share this one of these little handouts so that you will have more information as you dig into your own personal study of the book. It will give you an idea kind of where this book fits in the, in the Bible, how it plays out in the Bible, how it works out. So to help your understanding of the book and to really be kind of a guide as we jump into that. And if you're online, you, know, you can get it digitally through our website. So we have these available. If you need more or you can't find one around you, uh, we have them in the back as well. So these, again, are really, uh, really good to give you. If you're not familiar with the book or where it falls in Scripture, these are really good. And so we try to do that every time we start a book study here. All right. The second thing is, is last week, if you were with us, you... Uh, also had a handout or you saw a handout around you and it's our prayer guide and so um, I want to just you know, bring your attention to this if you didn't get one of these last week and you'd like one of these we have them available in the information kiosk in the back in the Welcome Center, also digitally on our website. Um, and I just want to you know, make note that we've invited you to join us in a season and a time of prayer this fall, and you're going to see how that kind of uh, comes into an alignment with the book of Nehemiah, and it starts today. And so this uh, prayer guide will get you through this week and next week, um, and then we'll have a new handout that will take you through another three weeks, and then another handout that'll take you um, closer to Christmas and stuff. And so I do want to invite you guys to join us um, in prayer. Uh, in a season of prayer as God uh, works in our hearts to kind of, you know, uh, till the ground, if you will, for what he has for us. It's a, a, a giant step of, of faith, a bold step of faith in front of us in what God is preparing us for in the next chapter of our church and our ministry here in the area, okay? And so we're inviting you into this season of prayer with us that we would do it together. And you're going to see how that fits in to the book of Nehemiah, especially starting next week, all right? The third thing is, is that next week, after uh, this service next week, uh, we are inviting all of you to a vision luncheon. Uh, and so over the last several weeks, we've been sharing the vision of what God has for us um, as a church and on a campus, on our campus. And um, if you have, if you want to, we're going to reshare that kind of in our luncheon so we can share it kind of in its uh, uh, completion, in, in its fullness. And if you want to come be a part of that, we would love to have you out there. We're inviting you to that. We'll feed you lunch. And uh, so we'll share more about the vision 
and kind of recap what we've shared already, but also have a time of question and answer with this disclaimer. We don't have all the answers. <laughs> Uh, there are a lot of uh, questions that, are, that have been already shared and things out there in front of us that I can simply humbly just submit to you that we don't have all the answers, but we know the one who does. Uh, we know the one who is going to lead us, and he lights one step at a time, and we're going to step faithfully and boldly um, in the, into those places that he's leading us. But we'll do our best to answer questions if you may have them next week at the Vision Luncheon. All right, so again, it will take place right after this, around noon or so, out in the Student Center. So we're inviting you out to that. And then finally, today is the first Sunday of the month and so every first Sunday of the month we take communion together as a church family as brothers and sisters in faith and so um, if you are at home and you want to join us in uh, taking communion together at the end of our service I invite you to go ahead and grab some elements there in your hot house and we'll we'll get to that if you didn't get uh, a communion cup on your way in make sure you grab one of those before we get to that in just a little bit okay now all that out of the way, today is an overview of the book of Nehemiah, and so our goal today is just kind of get a lay of the land, kind of whet the appetite for what we're going to start next week, and we're going to jump into the text next week, and so everything I say today, I will not be saying next week, and so we can jump in and get going right into the text, but I want to answer two questions this morning um, that come about with as we look at the book of Nehemiah. First of all, it's a very simple question, why Nehemiah? Why are we looking at Nehemiah. As we prepare and as we're stepping into this time of preparation in and through prayer, as we look to God to look to our future, why are we studying the book of Nehemiah? What does Nehemiah have for us this fall? And so a little bit of background about the book of Nehemiah. Um, it's a part of the flow of Israel's redemptive history, and it shows the ways of God as he worked with his people and so we're going to see that as this plays out over the next several months and into the new year. So you could say on the one hand, it is the record of one man's kind of endurance, his perseverance, his tenacity, his fortitude um, to work with a people and, and through that to transform really this city that was on, uh, in the ruins, the gates were burned down and it was broken down, and also a community of people that were incredibly discouraged to work into that, into a city now and a people of God in the face of great odds. And so it's, in one sense, it is the study of the life of Nehemiah and, and what God did in and through his life. But in another sense, it provides an abundance of spiritual lessons for us. Abundance of lessons on faith, on courage, on prayer, which we'll see. And, and again, that's how this is aligning with our prayer guide and what God led us to do this fall. Uh, a lesson on organization, bringing people together, teamwork, devotion to the work of God and what God is doing. And all of which are going to be necessary for us together in where God is taking us in that step of faith, in that giant step of faith, the biggest step of faith our church has probably ever stepped in its history for us to move forward. But also, those are very important lessons for us individually that play out in your everyday life, wherever you may be, work life, um, rec life, neighborhood, wherever it is, all of those lessons will be important for us as we are continuing to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. One commentator put it like this. He said, no other portion of the Old Testament provides us with greater incentive to dedicated, discerning zeal for the work of God than the book of Nehemiah. Few other books emphasize so strongly the close link there is between such zeal and action publicly and such prayer privately. If our enthusiasm is low and our manner lackadaisical, we need 
the lesson of this first chapter, regaining our vision through prayer, which again, we'll jump into next week. I'm trying to entice you. Can you see what I'm doing here? I'm trying to just like, you got to come back. You got to come back. To recapture such vision will either renew our zeal for our particular neck of the woods or give us a growing sense of call for some other sector of God's world. And the latter became Nehemiah's experience, right? He left where he was and he went back to Jerusalem uh, to build, to rebuild. And so uh, I love how he put it. So you could say in a sense, in one sense, our study of Nehemiah is simply for it to ignite a zeal again in our community. In our community, for our community, a zeal for us together in community, biblical community, for our community around us, a zeal for us, for our fellow neighbors and our family and our friends and our co-workers in, in the surrounding areas to see that the expansion that God is leading us to is for the people of our surrounding areas to be outward focused, not inward. Now, is there a benefit for those of us who will be involved in what God is going to do? Absolutely. The blessing is being involved in it. But us, what, one of the greatest things that we've got to fight against every day and all the time as Christians is an inward focus. God calls us to look outward at the life and the, and the people around us. And so this hopefully is to, to ignite that zeal again, or for maybe for the first time for those around us to see that what God is leading us to and to be a part of is for those in the future generations until Jesus comes back to be ministered to, not in a self-help way, but in a gospel Jesus Christ is the answer kind of way. And so that is one of the reasons why we step into this book, to see God's grace extend outwards to others as it stirs afresh within us. And as we envision the work of God here, again, we're blessed. We're blessed that he has invited us into this work in such a personal and powerful way. And what we learn from this first lesson in Nehemiah is that it has to begin with a focus on prayer. And again, that's why we have felt led by God to start a prayer you know, time of, of just preparation through prayer through the rest of the year. And we'll get into more of that next week in the following let me give you a few other reasons for us studying through Nehemiah, which we'll see throughout this study. First one is this. Nehemiah teaches us to confess our sins to God. And I know what you're thinking. Isn't that implied? Like in every study of the Bible, the implied is confess your sins to God. Isn't that the life of a Christian? And absolutely, you're absolutely right. But we have this tendency, and in chapter 1, when we get into it next, next week, we have this tendency to look at ourselves and to not look at ourselves and look at the world. And so what Nehemiah is going to focus us on is looking at ourselves and not of the world. Our tendency is to look away from ourselves, to look away from the person in the mirror and condemn the sins of the world. We're very good at pointing out the sins of the world. We're, we're incredibly good at that. All of us, we're incredibly good at pointing that out. Even though the world's sins cannot destroy us, think about that, but what can destroy us is our own sins if they're left unchecked. Nehemiah teaches us that our greatest enemy doesn't lie outside the walls of the church, if you will, but within. And so our greatest need is to confess our sins daily. Jesus teaches this in the gospel. It's a daily confession. We are not there yet. It's the already but the not yet, right? We are experiencing 
the work of heaven in our lives, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit throughout our lives. There's, there's that work going on, but we are not there yet. And so a daily confession of sin is so helpful, so critical to our walk with God, to our life with God, to our godly leadership of our own life into the lives of others daily. And when you and I fall short, here's the beauty of the grace of the gospel. When we fall short, which we do on a daily basis, guilty, is that Jesus' hand is there to pick us back up. Jesus' hand is there to pick us back up. We reach out and grab his hand. The grace and the mercy is new every morning as the Bible teaches us. And so the first thing that we're going to see through Nehemiah is he teaches us to confess our sins. Secondly, he teaches us to fight for the gospel. Chapter 4, Oliver Cromwell said, Trust God and keep your powder dry. And if you're a war buff or you love the history of war and all those things, it's a useful wartime phrase, right? It calls for both faith and vigilance in the heat of spiritual battle. It's easy for God's people to try and contend for the gospel on their own, in their own power, in their own strength, as though the outcome depends on us, right? We're really good at taking on you know, those battles and stuff and saying, I got this, God. You can just kind of sit over on the sideline. I'll take care of this. I got this. I'm, on, I'm in, right? It's easy for us. But you know what is also easy is just when it gets really challenging and, and it gets really intense and, the, and it's really coming at us and pressing in quite a bit. You know what, what gets really easy? Sitting on our hands and trying to bend the sovereignty of God to make it all work out because of our fear or our laziness, right? So, so as that happens, as we'll study through Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 20, you don't have to turn there. I'll just give you a little... Little little bit here. While the opposition, so there is an opposition coming as this plays out in Nehemiah's life, and it is intense. Nehemiah declares to the people that are with him, Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. So so here's what that means. As we contend, as we fight for the gospel, as we stand in our conviction and our belief, and, and the things come at us, the things of life, the things of the world, those things come at us. That, that tries to push us off or sway us off or drift us away, that we know that in our fight for that, that God is fighting with us. We're encouraged to know that it's God's strong arm that fights for us. doesn't mean we become idle and apathetic to it. It just means that we're not alone in moving forward, that we are in submission to God, in work, in a humble posture with God to move forward, and that we're not alone. He is for us. He is with us. Let us stand in his power and his presence. And, and that's going to be an important piece for us as we move forward in what he has for us. Because you know the devil doesn't like the fact that God's kingdom is expanding here on earth. And there are going to be attacks. And there are going to be things that come at us that we're going to have to be unified in knowing that God is with us. And as we contend for the gospel, we're not alone, as Nehemiah says to his group that he's leading. Here's another thing that Nehemiah teaches us that we'll see. He teaches us to live and to lead sacrificially. The thing about Nehemiah, he is an unusually humble leader. And he, he serves the kingdom at great cost to himself. Here's a couple of examples that we'll see as we study through. First thing we're going to see is Nehemiah is going to leave this refuge of Susa. It's an incredibly comfortable refuge. It is this place that is just full of, of everything that you would ever need because it's the winter retreat that the kings of Persia would, would go to. All right, and so everything is there. Out of, and, but he leaves this out of concern for God's people. That's humble. That's sacrificial. Another thing we're going to see is that he goes in and he confronts the wealthy people of Jerusalem, the wealthy citizens of Jerusalem, and he calls them out 
for, for the way they've treated the common people that they've extorted a tax and he's, he calls them out for that. And when he does that, he's risking his ability uh, to influence. He's risking his influence in his own influence as a leader because he brings this against them. And he does it because he wants and desires to protect the vulnerable in the community. Sacrificial. Another thing that happens in Nehemiah 5, Nehemiah the governor, little, little part there about what happens in his life. He has hundreds of people come to his house to eat. He hosts a meal in his house on his, on his own dime. He pays for it. Why? Because, because he's showing us how to live and to lead sacrificially. It's compassion. Because he could have demanded the governor's food allowance, but he didn't. So we see these things happening in the life of Nehemiah because he's teaching us how to live and to lead sacrificially. And what I know, and I think what you maybe know as a, as a follower of Christ, if you are a disciple of Jesus, that the gospel shines bright, or maybe shines the brightest when those who proclaim the gospel, when we proclaim it, we advocate for the vulnerable among us. So Nehemiah teaches us what sacrificial Christ-like leadership looks like. And then lastly, Nehemiah teaches us to be patient with one another. Patience. Really? We've got to jump into patience? Can you imagine how much, how much better all of our quality of lives would be if we had more patience? I'll let that just sit there for a second. <laughs> we know it. We don't like to admit it, but we know it. Nehemiah teaches us, he's going to teach us to be patient with others. Here's a spoiler alert. All right, so if you don't want to know this, put your fingers in your ears or something. The book of Nehemiah doesn't end with a walk into the sunset. As much as I'm building it up, like it's going to be this, you know, incredible book, it doesn't end with that walk. God delivers them. Uh, he delivers Jerusalem. Um, and, and God's people respond to the word by signing, signing a covenant to obey the word as Ezra reads the word. And that's going to be a, a powerful week. But then you know what they do? They go right back to the same sins that they were doing before the exile. Sounds familiar. Sounds like my life, my past. I think all of us can relate to that at times. So, so he teaches us to be patient with others. I mean, we see how there will always be a struggle with sin until Jesus comes back. We, we need to understand that. Not just for ourselves, but for others. You know how easy it is that we stand when we sin where we want people to be patient with us and grace-filled with us, but when others sin against us, we want ultimate, immediate justice. Well, he's going to teach us that we all struggle with sin, and we all will struggle with sin until Jesus comes back and writes everything that's wrong. And we're looking forward to that, amen? But until then, we need patience with one another. We have to learn God's people are holy and are called to be holy. Yet when we fail to be holy, we have to learn to be patient. Patient with one another. Thankfully, what we all need, and I say all of us because all of us are in this, is really that charity extended to one another in the midst of us falling short. That's why we go back to the first lesson, keep confess our sins, right? 
And we also need this great understanding of sanctification, which is the transforming of us into the image of Christ. When our lives collided with Jesus in that moment of conversion, it wasn't a termination, it was a beginning. It was the beginning of a transformation into what God ultimately has designed us to be a child of his. And that is a continual process until we go home to be with him or he comes back. And so we need this great understanding of what that is in each one of our lives. One that demands holiness but leaves room for failure. And God's unfathomable grace. Praise God that that mercy and grace is new every day. God, help us to have more patience with one another. We're going to need that. We need it. And we're going to need that. God, help us to confess our sins every day. God, help us to contend and fight for the gospel, not to be persuaded or swayed off our convictions and belief, no matter what is put in front of us. God, help us to live and lead our lives sacrificially for your glory and the good of other people. God, help us to be patient with those around us. As you can see, there is a lot that God is going to teach us through our study in this book together. There's so much more, and that's just a handful of what he has for us. But I want to get to the second question, which I've kind of already answered, but who is Nehemiah? Well, who is Nehemiah? Who is this guy? I've given you a little bit of a glimpse of who he is, and I would also say in the handout, if you read through the handout again, you'll get a little bit of an idea who he is, um, some interesting information about him. Um, but I want to just share with you, and you'll see this next week in our text, or in a couple weeks, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was a cupbearer. Now, that's not something that we, you know, really have in our modern context or modern day. Um, so let me give you kind of a definition or description of a cupbearer. Historically, a cupbearer was a high-ranking official who was in charge of serving the king in the royal, royal court. It was primarily the responsibility of the cupbearer cup to serve uh, the royal court, um, the royal table, really, the wine, to serve the wine. And so kings, you know, were concerned back then about the plots to kill them. Um, fair enough, right? And so they were concerned about what they ate and drank. And so the cupbearer was to, you know, handle the king's cup so that no poison would be put into the cup so that they, you know, the king would be killed like that. And the cupbearer had to guard the cup carefully and would sometimes even be asked to taste the drink before serving it to the king to ensure that it was safe. Now, we've seen all that in movies and read it in books and TV shows, all that kind of stuff. But this was his role. This is what he did. This was true and real. This wasn't something made up. So this is what he did. And it was an incredible responsibility. It was a, a tremendous responsibility. And the cupbearer had to be trustworthy. The cupbearer had to be loyal. That were the traits that allowed you to become a cupbearer, that you were trustworthy and loyal. And then the cupbearer had the king's confidence because they were trustworthy and loyal. And because of his character to do that, he was able to exert influence in the court, which leads to Nehemiah, the cupbearer. And you'll see next week as God uses this connection between Nehemiah the cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. He was loyal to the king. He was good to the king. He worked for the good of the king. He had a positive attitude in what he did. And he was a great cupbearer because he trusted and honored God in all that he did. And he worked diligently. That's what Proverbs 22:29 says. It says, "Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings." That's the case in Nehemiah. Nehemiah's work as a cupbearer to, today to us is a good reminder 
God cares how we work. God cares how we work. He cares about what you do for a living and how you do it. He cares about that. Don't, don't divorce those two things. He cares about how you conduct yourself when you work. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men. What a great reminder. What a great thing to maybe have in your car or in, at your desk or, or, or somewhere that you can just be reminded of the truth of God's word. How important this is for us. That God cares about how we conduct and how we work. The way we work is a reflection of our relationship with God. The way we handle our work is a reflection of our relationship with God. Nehemiah's service is a reminder to work hard. To work faithfully and with a good attitude no matter what our role is. And when we work hard and show that we can be trusted, God's honored, and then sometimes others take notice. It's a great reminder for us. There is no arguing what, <laughs> this verse. I mean, it is. This is God speaking, right? So not only was Nehemiah a faithful servant, and he reminds us about our own work today, but he was also a great leader. And you're going to see that. We're going to see that together. It's a great character trait, one for us maybe in ways to imitate when it comes to godly leadership. Over the time of our study through this book, we're going to see him pray where he begins, and we'll see that next week. We're going to see him act. He becomes active. He doesn't just sit in a prayer corner, but he moves outward. We're going to see him face opposition, how he handles that. We're going to watch him care for others with a compassionate heart. We're going to watch him lead people to God's word for the transforming work of the word. We're going to watch him confess as a leader, as a godly leader, to confess and to seek God's grace and forgiveness and mercy so that he may stand up and lead more. We're going to see him make commitments and keep them. And we're going to see him keep leading the people no matter what comes to pass, no matter what the cost is, he's going to keep leading. He is one of the great godly leaders of the Bible for us to look at. And so we're going to kind of see Nehemiah kind of wrapped up in all of these ways throughout our study. And one last thing I'll give you, which is a unique and interesting thing, which you may or may not have caught this or may already know. If you grab this little sheet or if you just look around, um, if you see the time frame that it was written, Nehemiah was written between 425 and 400 B.C., so before Christ, right? Before the coming of Jesus. And if we understand the way our scriptures are made up, that means that Nehemiah was the last book, and the last Nehemiah was the last influence before the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and New Testament, before Jesus comes and puts on flesh. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. There's a lot more books in my Bible before I get to the New Testament. Yes, chronologically, though, Nehemiah is the last one, and then it goes silent. So he was the last influence, the last leader there, he and Ezra, before Jesus comes and puts on flesh. And he's going to teach us a lot. And there's going to be a lot in this study that's going to be helpful for us as we take this bold step of faith. But we can't just talk about Nehemiah and not talk about Jesus. And so as we transition into a time of communion, spend our last few minutes together talking about what Jesus has done for us. I mean, when you see the gospel and you understand what Jesus has done for us as the gospel, we start to look back and we see that these people were rebuilding the walls. They had gone back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And 
What sometimes is focused on in this book is their faithfulness. But what we're going to see is that rather than their faithfulness is the center point, it's God's faithfulness in their unfaithfulness. Remember what we just talked about, that, that there was this time where they committed to obey and then they went right back to their sinful ways. And what we're going to really see is God's faithfulness in the midst of their unfaithfulness. As they were rebuilding, they were rebuilding because they were looking forward to the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah coming their way. And as we come forward to us today, we are being built up, not walls of Jerusalem, but 1 Peter 2 talks about us being built up in Christ and Jesus is our cornerstone. So they were waiting for their coming Savior and so are we to come again. So in a sense, we're connected in that way. Jesus has come and he's brought victory, but now we wait for his return and we wait with confidence and peace. And as we, rate, we, as we wait for that, his promised return, we're reminded of that victory and delivery through the cross and the resurrection, which leads us into communion. So I'm going to invite the band to come out. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and grab your little communion cup and those who may be at home. If you want to go ahead and get that ready, go ahead and open that top piece and grab that little wafer. And as we are doing this, as we come together in communion to remember, we look back so that we can look ahead. Jesus' death on the cross, his burial in the tomb, and his resurrection has secured for us an eternal home, a promise to us, given to us from the beginning when the fall occurred, that there will be a new home, there will be a new holy city, a new Jerusalem, right? An eternal dwelling with God and his people. God will be, he will be our God and we will be his people. And so we not only pause to take a moment to realize just how powerful and, and monumental this moment is every time we do it, but we also do it so that you and I are refreshed and looking forward to what is to come. And that is the promise of a reunion a promise of a face-to-face -face with our King and our Savior, a promise with true love, love that was demonstrated tangibly through the cross, a promise with holiness and righteousness in Christ. And for all those who have gone before us, a reunion to be together again forever. And because of that, we have hope, we have peace, we have perspective on what really matters. And so communion just isn't about a ritual where we take a wafer and say, this is symbolic of Christ's body being broken for us. It's about a moment to be, be truly re-centered if we've drifted, to, to be, be brought back to what really matters. Church, what really matters is Jesus. He's what matters more than anything. He's the one that matters. And when you and I keep our eyes on him, he guides, he leads, he cares for. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean everything becomes smooth and easy. It just means when it gets tough, you know you're not alone. And you hold on tighter as he holds you. 
And so when we come to this again, this is symbolic of his body being broken, everything being given over for us, his whole life so that you and I would have a path home with him, through him, by him. And on our way home, we're going together. The power of community. And church, we're going to need this as we move forward in this expansion project. We're going to need this as we come together each month. And we're going to need this to strengthen us, to provide endurance and perseverance for the, for the bold step and steps that God has for us in the future, for the clarity and wisdom that we're going to need. We're going to need this because we're going to need to do this together and not alone. And we do it not for our name, but for his, for what he's done for us. Which was give everything. So God, as we take this wafer, so we come united, even those at home united with us taking this, with us, this is for you. This came from you. God, remind us, center us again, strengthen us to stand steadfast on the immovable rock of Jesus Christ. Let's take this together. If you want to go ahead and open the bottom half there. The juice, symbolic the precious, beautiful, pure blood of the only one who could shed it for our redemption. Symbolic of Jesus' blood being shed through a scourging, through a beating, through a crown of thorns, through a spear, through a nail. The beautiful blood the Lamb of God being shed. And we ask, why? Why? Why why did that need to happen? Take the payment. Pay our wage of death to cover our sin, to wash us white as snow so that we may step into the purest white we've ever known and will ever know, and that is the presence of God Almighty, holy and righteous. He was the only one who could do it. And he willingly did it. And he did it. The answer to why is because he loves you. He loves you. He doesn't love a future version of you. He loves you right where you are. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you more. There's nothing you can do that make him love you less. He loves you right where you are. But because he loves you right where you are, he wants to take you to where he wants you to be. So there is a work that he's doing in our lives. And and this represents the completion of that work. Just like he completed the work on the cross, he will complete the work in our lives. And for that we say praise God that I am not who I was, I'm not who I need to be, but he has taken me to where I want to be. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. So again, when we come to our time of communion, it is not something just to say we do. It's something to wreck us of our pride, to ruin us of our selfishness, to see what true love really looks like, and to know that 
The world abandons you, he will not. The world leaves you by yourself, he will not. He loves you. He loves you. So God, as we take this juice, reminded of his great love for us, but also strengthened that in his love for us, we're empowered to love others. So God, not only let this be a moment for us personally, but let it be a moment that moves us outward to those around us. Let's take this together. Father, we praise you for the time that we've had to remember, to reflect, to celebrate, and to look forward. May our hearts be stirred for what you're doing and what you're going to do, knowing that it is all for you. It is not any of our kingdom to build. It is your kingdom. So may we live kingdom down, not culture up. May we bring the things of heaven here on earth and spread those to those around us. For the glory of King Jesus, for his name to be exalted above all names, knowing that we're never alone. You're always with us, we pray in his name. Amen.